I tell you what, I appreciate that wonderful song. And I'm glad my yesterdays are gone, and I'm glad my sins are forgiven. If yours are the same, say amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you for what a great song. I just love that and love to hear the praise team. We're blessed to have a quality praise team sing like they do. Amen. And uh, they're a blessing. And it's good to see you in church today. And uh, I can't believe this southern weather we're having. This uh, almost 70 degrees, they say today. Isn't that amazing? I feel like I'm down in Alabama in, in January. This is the middle of January. And uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a marvelous thing to enjoy this. It's better than a blizzard snowstorm. Amen. So praise the Lord. So at this time, uh, Howard, uh, come on out, Dr. Howard. He's uh, he's ahead of our Celebrate Recovery. That's getting a, we're having a something special today and starting off this Friday. But uh, I appreciate this man. Give him a big hand. Thank you, Howard. <laughs> Thank you, Howard. Thank you, everybody. Okay. Uh, so I wore my T-shirt today, my Celebrate Recovery T-shirt today, oh, because. I'm sure to get lasagna on it. That's so, good. so we're having the big lasagna lunch today. It's, uh, again, another fundraiser. We're trying to get a little bit more to, uh, we're trying to buy some flags, those uh, feather flags, they call them. They're tall and thin. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have one ordered so far, but we want to get probably two more. So um, just to direct the people down to the lobby that aren't familiar with the church. We're trying to reach out to the community and get other people that aren't familiar with the church uh, to come in and to see what we have to offer beyond just celebrate recovery. Mm -hmm. So uh, we really appreciate your support. Like I said last time, the uh, chili kickoff was amazing. You guys were, were really great. Um, we have our leadership meeting on this Wednesday, and then the first meeting will be on Friday, uh, the 17th, this Friday, from 6 to 9. And that meeting is going to have a special guest speaker. We have the uh, Maryland State Representative giving his testimony. Uh, so there's four state representatives, and we have uh, uh, Larry Heitmuller coming. Uh, should be a very exciting uh, thing. Um, anybody who's interested, anybody who wants more information, myself, Jen's not feeling well today, so she's not going to be available. We're still looking for a few women volunteers uh, to be group leaders. I think we have two places that still need to be filled. So anybody who's interested in, in doing that will we'll channel you to the right people. Otherwise, I look forward to seeing everybody out there for lasagna lunch. Thank you very much. Looking forward to it, Howard. Thank you. Thank you, Howard. Thank you, Thank you so much. Appreciate it. That'll be right in the lobby and uh, right after the morning service. So we'd appreciate that. My uh, subject on series that we're doing over the next couple Sundays is on building families, one family at a time. And uh, this morning I'm speaking on the most critical key to family unity. I think all of us are definitely aware of the complications that families can bring. We know that there's a lot of differences with the mindset of people. Everyone has a different opinion, different personalities, and sometimes in a family setting where it's expected to be a great and a blessed experience, sometimes can be a lot of problems. And uh, one of the most important aspects of our family, my family, your family, 
is that one thing that God wants us to see or wants us to achieve is to have unity in the family. This is critical. There, there is one critical key to family unity that I want to speak to you about this morning. Unity is, is so important for a family. Uh, it's sad today when I look across the, the, the horizon, especially in this great land of America, so many families are splintered and broken up, and there's so much division and a anger and hatred and family even killing each other. There's that channel on TV where uh, it talks about crimes and how spouses become so angry at, at each other that they'll stoop so low to take a gun and kill their spouse. And, uh, or abuse their spouse to almost they're killed or, or, or they die. And it's a, it's a shame that our country is suffering in the area of fractured families. But I want to speak to you on what is the one key that will keep your family unified? Before my mother passed away, she would, I was sitting with her in, uh, in a room and we were talking. She said, now, Tim, you've got to help us keep our family together after I'm gone. And I said, Mom, I'm sure that the family will stay together. But she said, I, I look about and I see so many families falling apart at the seams. And it's so easy to succumb to the base feelings of, of, of anger and jealousy and all of these things that really bring about division and brokenness in a family. And uh, it's sad. And she says, my prayer is that our family would stay unified. And we talked about this, and one of the subjects, that, one of the issues that she brought up that, that keeps a family together is the subject of forgiveness. In fact, Proverbs 19, verse 11 says this, The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and his glory is to overlook a transgression. I think the most important virtue in any relationship, in any family, or anything that holds a marriage together or keeping a family united is something crucial to the success of marriage and a family and the extended family, and it is the spirit of forgiveness. And what is it that causes a relationship to be sustained over the long haul? Uh, in a word, it is the power of forgiveness. And no matter who you're married to, they're going to fail you. You're going to fall short. They're going to offend you. They're going to misunderstand you. They're going to misinterpret what you mean by what you do. You're going to offend them at times. Uh, you're going to sin against them. You're going to disappoint them. And this is true in any kind of relationship is because we are sinful creatures. We're fallen creatures. We all make mistakes. And what essentially keeps that from destroying relationship is this spirit and this wonderful virtue of forgiveness. Proverbs 19, verse 11, I love this. The discretion or the wisdom of a man makes him slow to anger. And I like this. And his glory is to overlook or to give a margin for the failures of the people that he loves. Proverbs 9:11 says that it is a man's glory to overlook a transgression. Never is a man more lofty or more noble than when he learns how to forgive. And frankly, we live in a society that would not accept this. This is a, this is a virtue that is thrown in a ditch in this world. 
And we live in a very sad, pathetic society on the road to self-destruction. And one of the main contributors of self-destruction of our society is this disdain or this resentment of this virtue called forgiveness. As I look around, I find that people are filled with bitterness. They're filled with anger, hate, vengeance. And they believe that somehow retaliation is a virtue and that getting back somehow is right and it's healthy. And such attitudes are approved in our culture, approved on every front. They're approved by counselors and psychologists who tell us to just go ahead and explode. Go ahead and let it out. And we need to make sure we don't keep anger in, but rather explode when it's necessary or when we have the opportunity. Such attitudes of being vindictive are exalted in the heroes of our culture, and Hollywood has done a good job to fan the flame of anger and venting our hostility. In fact, people make heroes out of the vindictive. They make heroes out of the vengeful. We kind of like the guy who's like Dirty Harry or the Rambo or the Terminator or whatever you want to call them. Those type of people who find joy in killing for the sake of, yes, vengeance, getting even at all costs. There are those in our society who go around killing people. We see this constantly. We're like, what's going on? What's with these active shooters who, who just walk in, mad at the world, and take a gun and just mow people down. Where is this coming from? It's coming from a culture that does not promote forgiveness, a culture that has been abused. People are angry. They watch these Hollywood movies where... They are taught how to vent and to promote the release of their hostility. Coming along behind that are lawsuits. They said just this past year, over a million lawsuits a year in America are pursued against family members. In any way, in every way that people can seek vengeance, even in the midst of their families, they'll seek it at all costs. We have 70% of the world's lawyers just trying to keep up with the number of lawsuits in America alone. And even the counselors and psychologists will tell us it's not really good to forgive, but rather you need to get it out, get the hostility out. Society says in this world, you don't have to forgive. And by, by the way, that's the, the voice of the devil. He's the prince and the power of the air. He has dictated the minds of men. And we should place the blame on our present problems on those who have created the pain and hurt. And we need to get even. And the new cry is, I'm a victim. It's not my fault. I'm not responsible. Guilt for anything and everything is pushed off on others and left there until vengeance exhausts itself. And there's really no place for forgiveness, sad to say, even in the family. In fact, it's often suggested that forgiveness is unhealthy. It's sort of wimpy. It's sort of cowardly. We've all been oppressed, abused, and victimized, and we're not about ready to just let someone off the hook and just forgive them. So what we do is we write them off. We become angry. 
The price of vengeance is extremely high. The price of unforgiveness is really severe. Let me tell you some things that forgiveness does. Number one, unforgiveness imprisons people in the past. As you're unwilling to forgive offenders and their offenses, even in the family, you're shackled to them both. As long as you're unwilling to forgive the offender and the offense, you keep it alive. The pain is there. You're just constantly hitting an open sore and you keep it from healing. And when you won't forgive, you're sentencing yourself to go through life feeling as bad now as you did in the past when the offense was committed with no end in sight. And we just perpetually relive that offense over and over. You choose to love hate and cultivate it through your life. And unforgiveness imprisons you in the pain of your past. And then secondly, unforgiveness is inevitably, it produces deep bitterness. Bitterness is like hooking up a drain, taking all the joy the peace out of your life. The book of Hebrew calls it a root of bitterness. It, it goes deep down into the heart. It's an infectious cancer in the heart, and such bitterness is malignant. It's devastating. And whether you realize it or not, it withers your soul. It, it takes you away from the anointing of God. It removes you from the blessings of the Lord, and you become a cynical, cold, unhappy person. It'll shackle you to the pain of your past. It'll provide for you a deep bitterness. On the other hand, forgiveness brings complete freedom from the past and from bitterness in the present. When you study the Bible, there's a lot that the Bible talks about forgiveness. In fact, the Bible is loaded down with about following the character of God and beginning to become a forgiving person. In fact, there are 75 word pictures to forgiveness in the Bible. Let me give them a few, a few to you. Number one, to forgive is to turn the key and open the cell door and let the offended person free. To forgive is to write in large letters across a bad debt, nothing owed. The Bible says that to forgive is to pound the gavel in a courtroom and declare not guilty. To forgive is to shoot an arrow so high and so far that it can never be found again. To forgive is to take out the garbage and dispose of it once and for all, leaving the house fresh and clean. To forgive is to loose the anchor and set the ship free to sail. To forgive is to grant a full pardon to a condemned and sentenced criminal. To forgive is to loosen a strangled hold on a wrestling opponent. To forgive is to sandblast a wall of graffiti, leaving it brand new. To forgive is to smash a clay pot into a thousand pieces so it can never be put back together again. Those are just some of the word pictures in the Bible that the Bible describes as forgiveness. In fact, forgiveness is a marvelous virtue. It's a Christian virtue. It is a liberating virtue. It's a, a loving attitude. It's a loving act. It makes sense to forgive. It's healthy. It's wholesome. It is liberating. It is sensible. It relieves tension. It brings peace. It solicits loves. And again, I say it is, it is man at his noblest. It is his glory to overlook someone's transgression or someone's error or someone's attack on us. No relationship can survive. No family can survive the absence of forgiveness. If you don't forgive continually, you will accumulate bitterness that will destroy every relationship in your family. 
Now, there are some compelling biblical, theological, spiritual reasons why we're to forgive, and I want to talk about that this morning. Three of them. By the way, there are many, but three, I think, are the top three. Beyond the sheer virtue of it, beyond the sheer nobility of it, let me show you a few compelling motives to be a forgiving person, and that's something we all need to work at. Number one, forgiveness is the most godlike virtue you can emulate. We talk about we want to be like Jesus. We want to be conformed to his image. We want to walk like Jesus, talk like Jesus. We want to be like him. How many want to be like the Lord? Would you raise your hand? Raise it. Amen. Mine is raised too. You see, no act is more godlike than forgiveness. You are never more like him when you forgive someone who has offended you. Forgiveness is verbally declared, personally a granted promise. It is a statement of undeserved, unlearned love, uh, unearned love that affirms to an offender that there's no anger, no hatred, no desire for vengeance, no retaliation because guilt has been removed, blame has been removed. There is no self-pity and there is no bitterness. And that is precisely the attitude of God. God grants to us in Scripture a verbally declared, personally given promise of undeserved, unearned love that affirms that he is no longer angry with us, he no longer carries hatred or a desire for vengeance, that there will be no retaliation, no condemnation because of guilt and blame, and that shame has been removed because of the blood of Jesus Christ. He has forgiven us, declared us righteous, and he embraces us with his unconditional love. That's the attitude of God toward those who have put their faith in him. One of the best descriptions of God that God gave of himself was to Moses. Moses says, manifest yourself. I want to see God. I, I want to see who you are. I want to see your, the, the, a physical manifestation of God. And God says, you, you can't look upon me because you're a sinful man and I'm a holy God and it would, you just explode. You, you, you couldn't exist. But God says, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll, I'll walk past you. I'll hide you behind a rock, and I'll let you see the backside of myself. But at the same time, God says, I will declare to you, Moses, who I am. And this is, what, this is how God described himself to you and I, even in the scriptures. This is what he says in Exodus 34, 6. Then the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord God is compassionate and gracious slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for a thousand, who forgives iniquities, transgressions, and sin. That's how God described himself. You are no more like God than when you get rid of your grudge and your attitude and your unforgiving spirit and when you let go of that pent-up anger and you begin to develop the character and the mind of God, say, I want to be forgiving. And you forgive. Psalms 32 says, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord doth not impute iniquity. My friends, if we stood naked in our sin before God, 
if we stood before his blazing holiness in our sinfulness, it would blast us to the depth of hell. But because of his great love, he has brought us into his fellowship. What keeps the church of Jesus Christ going from century after century after century, and that is receiving the forgiveness of God for our sins and receiving the forgiveness of sins for one another. And God says, because I have forgiven you, you must forgive yourselves because he knew that this was the key to unite the body of Christ. This was the key that would unite the, the immediate families on the face of the earth. Psalms 85 says essentially the same. Psalms 130, all throughout Scripture, we, we read about God's forgiveness. He remembers our sins no more. He buries them in the depths of the sea. He removes them as far as the east is from the west. Jesus, so godlike, being executed on the cross, cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Stephen, a great prophet from the New Testament, so godlike, being crushed under the bloody blows of stones and pummeled his body to his death, said, Father, lay not this sin at their charge. Father, forgive them. That's godlike, to have such a forgiving spirit toward your executioners. God has been overtly, blandly, unjustly offended, blasphemed and dishonored, and yet longingly, eagerly forgives just for the sheer joy and the glory of reconciliation. God says, if I'm going to be united with fallen man, it will only come through this great act of forgiveness. The only way that I can be united to sinful man again is my forgiveness. And the only way that will unite us as the body is the spirit of forgiveness. That is, by the way, Paul's point in Ephesians 4.32. He says, be kind to one another. Don't be cold, smug. Don't have a hateful attitude. Be tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ Jesus also has forgiven you. It's hard to destroy a relationship if you continually forgive, forgive every offense. Colossians 3.13, Paul says, bearing with one another. Asking God to give us patience to deal with the faults and the failures of others. And forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. It is God-like. You are most like God. When you practice and you use discretion, and it is your glory to choose to forgive instead of becoming vindictive. Number two, the one who does not forgive will not be forgiven. Wow. The one who does not forgive will not be forgiven. Matthew 6 says, if you don't forgive another, the Lord is going to chasten you. This is another way to look, look at that, but emphasizes a, a little different aspect. The one who doesn't forgive will not be forgiven. Matthew 6, the disciples have asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. And in verse 12, part of that lesson of that prayer is, and forgive us of our debts as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
There is a correlation of receiving God's forgiveness and passing on that forgiveness to someone else. That's powerful stuff. If you forgive, you'll be forgiven. You say, now, is this talking about the fact that you might lose your salvation and go to hell? No, eternal forgiveness. We have that in our justification by the blood of the cross. Temporal forgiveness we need in our sanctification. That settles the issue of being blessed in the present. The issue here is simply this, that God will not forgive your sin in the sense that you're free from the chastening and the recipients of blessing yourself. In other words, when you choose not to forgive, the Bible says you, you, you turn off the valve. You turn off the spigot of God's pouring a blessing into your life. You now are entering into a place of dryness. You are now entering into a spiritual drought. All of a sudden, the anointing of God is halted. And we can learn to, to walk in life without the blessing and the presence of God. And things just don't work well for us. We, we fall into different pits of depression. We fall into places of, of anger. We fall into the, a place where the Spirit of God doesn't move over us anymore. God doesn't use us like he used to use us. There's something halting. There's something blocking. There, there's something hindering the Spirit of God in our life. And that is because... He turns the valve of blessing or the spigot of the anointing on you. I know in my life, <laughs> very quickly, when I develop a bad spirit in my heart or I have an unforgiving spirit towards someone, and all, all of a sudden I sense the anointing leaving I need the anointing. I need it. I, I stand here in front of hundreds of people. I prayed this morning on the way to church and said, God, if I don't have your anointing, I am nothing more than a, than a sounding cymbal. I'm nothing here but a clanging noise. I, I'm just up here talking to the wind. My friend, what I need is the anointing of God in my life. I, wanna, I don't want to spend the rest of my life spinning my wheels, going through the motion in a, 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 in a spiritual sense of dryness or drought. I need God to bless me, and I want the Spirit of God to fall over me. I want the joy of the Lord to ring in my heart. I want to sense God's presence in a great way. I don't want him to pull away. I don't want him to withdraw. I need the Lord. I went through a time, and this was years ago, years ago, I went through a, a bad situation. Someone did something which I said, I actually said this, it is unforgivable. I can't forgive this one. I said that. God heard that. The only sin that can never, never be forgiven it is, the son, is the sin of unbelief. And as far as God's concerned, all sins can be washed under the blood of Jesus. That's good news this morning. Amen. I went through something, man, I caught me an attitude. Now, I can go to church and slap on the pastor face. I can get up and preach a sermon. I can talk about I can sprinkle pastor dust. <laughs> I can do it. I can go through the motion. I've done it long enough. I can be a professional Christian without the anointing. You can do it too. Man, this thing got me in the quick. And I couldn't get over it. 
and I was in a meeting and the pastor was preaching and as he was preaching he talked about the spirit of forgiveness and I, I remember my spirit was so resistant to what he was saying I resented the I, this is what I was thinking I'm never having that preacher come back <laughs> that's what I said I just resented but as the Holy Spirit began to penetrate this bitterness and this anger immediately I was arrested and God began to shed a light on my attitude and my spirit and while I was sitting on the platform all this pent-up anger for for about two and a half years immediately broke and the poor preacher, he was preaching his heart, and I'm sitting behind him in the chair, and I'm uncontrollably crying. My, my congregation's looking at me like, he's having a nervous breakdown. He's cracking up. I broke down and cried. And the pastor said something, this preacher said something. In fact, it was Dr. Tim Lee. He was preaching. He said, some of you have got spear chucks in your hand. You've had them there so long, your hands are locked in, and you need to let them go. And I thought, that was me. And I remember the moment I let that go, the tears, and I cried. And I asked God to forgive me. And there was like a baptism of the Holy Spirit right on the platform. God brought the joy, the peace. And I went and I dealt with that issue. I asked for forgiveness for my spirit, even though... They were the ones that offended. I went and asked for forgiveness, and I was released. I look back at those years, and I thought, had I not done that, I probably would have been out of ministry a long time ago. I remember talking to my mom about this situation before God used this pastor to preach. She looked at me, and she said, Tim, you've got to let it go. You've got to let it go. You've got to forgive. But I said, but mom, but look at the depth of how intentional that was. But mom, you just got to know how cruel that was. And mom, blah, 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 mom. And she said, you got to get over yourself. And you've got to receive the spirit of forgiveness like Christ gave you. And she said, you've got to let it go. And it wasn't long after that that I did. The one who does not forgive will not be forgiven. And I want to tell you something. I know that to be true. I was faking it pretty, pretty good. But the spigot and the power of God was turned off. And then number three, unforgiveness renders us unfit for worship. Wow. The absence of forgiveness renders us unfit to worship. In fact, worship becomes a form of hypocrisy. Because Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 23 and 24. If therefore you are presenting your offering at the altar, but if you're coming to worship God and you remember that your brother has something against you and you against them, leave your offering there before the altar. Go your way first. Be reconciled to your brother. Then come and present your offering. What is he saying? Don't worship me until you get your life right here. 
then we'll worship here. They're very basic. Don't draw near to God with the intention of worship if there's unsettled grudge with another Christian. Reconciliation must precede worship, even if we hold no anger. If, we, if he holds anger against us, we must freely forgive in the heart and do all that we can to make it right. You see, if there's any iniquity in you, it says it in Psalm 66, the Lord, if I hide iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear us. So you come to worship. Heaven makes no response if your heart isn't right. The absence of forgiveness renders you unfit for worship. Now you're just going through the motion and you walk out of church and say, boy, I didn't feel anything today. I didn't get anything from the sermon. I didn't get anything from the praise team. I'm just, you know, it's just, just that church is dead. And all along, inside, worship is rejected. Not to forgive is to usurp the authority of God. And I suppose this is the ultimate ego trip. If you won't forgive, then you're setting yourself up as the one who holds the sword of divine judgment. And I know the thinking of people who've been offended. If I forgive them, I'll let them off the hook. You're saying, well, God, you may be willing to forgive, but, you know, I'm human, I'm not. You rip the sword out of God's hand and you decide you're going to wield the sword yourself. You take private vengeance. And what audacity in the light of Romans 12 where God says, vengeance is mine. It's not yours. It's mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. In other words, have faith that I see the relationships taking place. I see how families treat each other. I will deal with them individually. Trust me. You just be right. Overcome evil with good and never take your own revenge. Let me tell you something. You're here and you think you might be in a very difficult marriage. You may think you have a very difficult situation this morning. Young people, you think you have the most unfair parents you may think you have conflict in your home, which is unbearable. Let me tell you this. Your offenses, the offenses against you, are the very trials which God will use to make you like his son. What am I saying? My mom did share this with me. God is taking you through this sandwich problem is to teach you something about grace and love. Don't run from them. Criticisms, injustices, offenses, persecutions, a judgmental spirit thrown at you, mistreatments are for the purpose of your spiritual maturity. Don't run from the process. Stay in them and stay in it. Even if your whole life long you realize that maybe, maybe I could have found somebody else who could have made my life happier. If you respond to the stress and the difficult appropriately, those trials will make you Christ-like and the noblest goal of all. Be little concerned about your personal injuries and much concerned about your personal holiness. 
And remember that in your trials, God is at work making you strong and he's making you holy. When all is said and done, what keeps a relationship together is the spirit of forgiveness because we're all going to fail. We're all going to offend each other. We're all going to wound each other. We're going to hurt. But where that is constant and comprehensive is found in the virtue of forgiveness. Do you want to find favor with God? Then suffer a little. That's how life is. And then he says this, for you've been called for this purpose. You mean it has to be like this? (laughs) Yes. We live in a fallen world, fallen mates, fallen parents, fallen children, fallen friends, fallen families. It has to be like this. You've been called for this purpose. I had someone tell me about a week ago, and they said, I want a family like that family on Facebook. I went, oh, sweetheart. But I read, I read what they write, and their marriage is bliss. I'm, I feel like saying, well, yeah, well, they just saw me last week about going to the divorce court. <laughs> I wanted to. But it's... But their children are happy enough. You know, you can portray any image you want. But let me tell you something. Everybody in this room and everybody on Facebook deals with the real world. Everyone has conflicts. Why? Because we're all sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God and we have all complications. Don't be buffaloed to think that your relationship is sub or less because it's not as glorious as those on Facebook. Throw your Facebook away. Get off that thing and just look at your spouse and love them like God loves you. You want to find favor with God? Embrace the spirit of forgiveness. And Christ, our beloved Christ, left us an example who, when he suffered unjustly, committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. In other words, they had no reason to make him suffer. It was all unjust. It was all unfair. It was all inequitable. It was all undeserved. Yet verse 23 says this, While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. He just kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. He just kept throwing everything back in the lap of his father. He never struck back, but rather gave himself to God and went on bearing our sins in his body on the cross. It's true, forgiveness brings heaven to earth. Forgiveness puts heaven's peace and the heart of family members. Forgiveness really is the image of God. Forgiveness is the advancement of the kingdom of Christ. Forgiveness is what makes a relationship last. The wisest man in all the world said this, the discretion or the wisdom of a man who has great discernment is slow to become angry. Rather, he backs up and gives those who offend him a margin of error. And his glory, his glory, the bigness, the greatness of his virtue is to overlook the silly faults and errors and offenses of others. 
Let's be like Jesus. Your family can begin to heal right away if you can let go of some stuff. Just let it go. I was watching that little show called Frozen from Disney World, and they're going, let it go, let it go. And I was singing it with my grandchild. God said, yeah, are you going to let yours go? I'm like, yep, let it go, let it go, let it go. You know, a lot of things we just got to let go. Look to your neighbor and say, I'm going to let it go. Can you do that? And that was seven of you. The rest of you, I know what you're thinking. Not on your life. Let it go. Life is short. Life is brief. Soon in heaven, we'll all be happy forever. Amen? Let's stand for prayer.